This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio and Instagram Live, talking pets. That's why we're here. Uh, a couple of ways to get a hold of me on Instagram. Just go ahead and type away, and I see some good questions already. Great. And here on Pet Life Radio, go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and you can just either send me a, a note right there and I will get it, or you can call me old-fashioned, but you can still do it. I'm old-fashioned too, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882, and um, we can uh, answer your questions. And as I said, here on Instagram, I'm waving to everybody. And uh, so, first of all, while we're starting, while you guys are thinking of questions, and I have a few things to talk about, I want to already start asking some good questions came in already. I love it. So now I got to go to the back to the beginning because I don't want to miss any. Everybody should get their turn. Okay. I've got a lot of waving. Yes, I'm waving. My arms are getting tired. Ah, Eloise, can you tell people again how a prong collar or regular collar cannot cause a tracheal issue? So basically, in order for a collar to really cause a tracheal issue, it has to be like pulled and held really tight or yanked really. And that's not how we use them. So the whole idea to preface that when used properly, unless the dog already has a tracheal problem, like a collapsing trachea, then it's not going to cause a problem. If they already have a collapsing trachea, any pressure. When I'm looking at tracheas or a dog with tracheitis, like good old fashioned infectious trachea bronchitis, aka kennel cough, I just, just tickle the trachea a little bit and I induce a cough. So that's not the same. That's a pre-existing problem when used properly, but you never want a choke. That's why even the old good old fashioned, and I hate to use the word, choke chain. It's a training collar. And when used appropriately and properly, it's not going to be a problem. The whole idea of that, and any good trainer will tell you, it's the way you kind of whip it, and it just gives a little sound, and it just touches them in the neck. That It's just to get their attention. It's not really to stop them from you know, pulling, pulling, pulling. If they are pulling, despite the proper use, it's the wrong collar for that dog. And there are so many options out there of really good training collars. You have the halty, you have the gentle leader, you have prong collars, which I use on, on three of my dogs. You never leave it on. Never, never, never leave it on. It's only for a walk or training session, whatever. I have a harness for two of my dogs, especially my Frenchie. Frenchies are, you know, first of all, pretty headstrong, and which they just are. And you don't want them pulling because they have thick, thick necks. They have a pre-existing problem, if you will. So I find for good old uh, Dwight, the harness works just fine. So you should never go into a thing, I'm going to buy this particular collar and that's it. You need to test, see what works best for your dog, and that's how you do it. How many months of Lucan's law can a dog stay on? So it's a great question because Brandon's dog, one of my son's dogs, it's a Frenchie that had horrendous skin. We know it has whole tree allergies, chicken allergies, and um, we needed to do something. So anyway, after the allergy meds, antibiotics, still having a problem, I did a scrape and we did cultural skin. It was a myelosthesia fungal dermatitis. So we put him on fluconazole 
And we start for 30 day course. It's once a day, 30 days, not much. Second 30 days, oh, a little better. We're starting. I did a blood test to make sure everything was good. Any, any of these, it, even with people, if you've heard of something called Lamisil, you know, the, one of the problems with pulse therapy for certain fungal infections like toenail fungus, you really want to monitor liver. So took a blood test, liver was fine. Put him on his third month, and oh my God, what a dramatic improvement. So the short answer is as long as it takes. However, however, you need to monitor. Uh, either once every four to eight weeks, you should monitor bloods, make sure that the liver is fine and they're tolerating it well. And if they are, you use it until you need So Right now, he's off of fluconazole and he's still doing great. And um, so again, there's no easy answer because every single dog, every single patient is a little different and we have to respect that and we have to do what's right for that animal. But there are things we can do to at least monitor to make sure that we're, uh, we're in good shape. So Lucy's lumps oh, are decreasing. Ah, so this is great. This is great. Lucy actually is Eloise, Vicky's mom's pet, a dog, 17 years old, not bad, who has some sort of lymphoma. The nodes are large, especially the ones in the submandibulars and the popliteals. So we start, look, 17 years old, but the dog was in pretty good shape. I mean, the bloods were, how do you say no to not even at least try? When the dog, forget the age, just the dog's in decent shape for her age or even for not her age. If she were 12 and had these bloods, I'd be thrilled, right? She's 17. I'm even more thrilled. So anyway, we did um, the first treatment. We're waiting for uh, one of the drugs that I use has to be compounded because of her small size. It only comes, the smallest size, it comes as 50 milligram capsules. So you can't even cut them. And with chemo drugs, you don't want to handle them at all. Everything with gloves. So we have to have it compounded for 15 milligrams. Meanwhile, while waiting for that, we started some prayer. We started something called Christine, gave the only the first shot. And I remember when I first started doing some, you know, chemo and working with cancer patients, the amazing response we would sometimes get from literally the first treatment. So uh, I am thrilled and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll keep going and, and buy her a lot of good time. Ah, so Mama Sue, so the um, biopsy from last week, eosinophil granulomas. Now, eosinophil granulomas are part of the eosinophil granuloma complex can manifest in so many different ways from linear granuloma to rodent ulcer to just eosinophil granulomas. You get these things on the lips. They're all related. They're usually very, very responsive to steroid therapy. And the good news about steroid therapy in cats, cats are very tolerable to steroids, way more than way more than dogs or people for that matter. So we loosely say you can use steroids in a cat with reckless abandon. You know, there are obviously exceptions. Or I also say with cats, when it comes to a cat problem, when in doubt, steroids. <laughs> so they usually tolerate them very well. So hopefully keep me posted as to you know how the uh, the lesions are doing and uh, that'd be that's good to know. Oh, so back to her lumps on the left are gone. That's really, really cool. Any other uh, questions come in? If not, I'm going to just share some stories with you. Ooh, that's a good one. In fact, that recently, we've all heard about Mason. We just have another one. Her name is Dolly Two. I took a huge mass off of her. And uh, how do you decide whether to put down a dog with malignant tumors? And look, malignant tumors are serious. There are very few that can be actually cured, depending on grading. Now, for example, a mast cell tumor like Mason had, um, if they were grade one or even grade two, and we were able to get it all, we would monitor, but th that could be cured. I've had, I've had dogs that had mast cells, got them all. Think of a malignant melanoma. If you get to a malignant melanoma in a person early, 
and you remove it completely. Now you, with Mose, you can really make sure you got it all. That's curative. So my criteria are many. You got to take the blinders off for a second. And you, you don't look at just, uh-oh, malignant tumor, euthanasia. No, absolutely not. Let's find out how the pet is doing. Let's find out if the cancer has spread already to the target organs that usually spread to, liver and lung, spleen. So first thing we do is a full physical. We take x-rays, chest, maybe an ultrasound, looking for lesions in liver and spleen. We would uh, make sure the bloods are okay. Can the dog tolerate the sedation, the anesthesia? Is it a, a good candidate for chemotherapy? If it's going to something that's going to re require radiation, can they handle the regular anesthesias, which will take when you do radiation therapy? So it really all depends on all these factors, what the tumor is, what condition the pet is in, how much spreading, if any, has already started, and then what types of options you have for treatment. Is it surgery? Is it surgery? Is it chemo? Is it surgery and chemo? Is it radiation? So you have to really get it all out. Then we make a decision based on those things. Now, so both these dogs that I recently did, I'm still waiting on the biopsy on Dolly. You're going to see Dolly. We're going to post Dolly or how about the surgery we just did on Dodger. Dodger was that dog with a perianal gland adenocarcinoma, a highly malignant tumor. And we knew that going in. It was cytology was done, but everything was clear and the dog was in great shape and not that old. He's nine or 10 or whatever he was. So I said, you know what? Let's do it. Let's take it off. I mean, there's no downside. Sure, there's always a risk of anesthesia, but we've already shown that it was in good shape. We removed it. It does show that there's some cells growing to the edge, but I just saw it back on a follow-up last week. You cannot tell at all, both on the outside and when I did a rectal, and there is no semblance of this tumor coming back. So are we going to continue monitor it? Absolutely. And we're going to still take x-rays? Absolutely. We did the other day, still clean. So what we're going to do is just monitor and we're going to talk to an oncologist uh, to see if there's any benefit at this point to radiation. Because one of the things that, you know, when you do radiation therapy, you're doing it very localized. And so if the spread has already begun, for example, a perfect case is osteosarcoma, which is bone cancer in dogs. By the time you make the diagnosis, it's already in the blood or lymph. It's there. So whatever we do, it's just buying time, hopefully good quality time, but it's buying time. Even with the chemotherapy and amputation, right? It's going to get them. But how long? How long is it going to take? So some of these very aggressive malignant tumors, by the time you see it and the organ that it's in, in this case was the, the anal gland, the spread is already there. So even if we radiate that one area, what are we doing to stop the spread? The spread's already started. So these are all the things we have to think about and monitor and also look at a client's finances, look at the pet's age. How much more can we expect? As you, many of you know, I did surgery, a big ugly mast cell tumor on my 15-year-old Labrador retriever. Everybody thought I was nuts because labs don't even make it to 15. This one did, did the surgery. It came out great. We finally put him to sleep at 16 and a half. So looking back, did I make the right decision? Of course I did. So anyway, those are the criteria we use to decide. Okay. And another opinion from one of our good rescues. All right. About that question, it says, if they are still eating, pooping, drinking water, you know, drinking water, they still want to go on walks. They're still happy then you don't, even if it's not treatable, even if it's no way to, to remove it, okay? Or even if you don't want to do chemo, don't put them to sleep until they actually start, which is a good point, until they actually start showing signs of being in pain, not eating anymore. When you look at them and you feel sorry for them, you answer this question, if this were grandma, would you be considering full-time nursing care or a nursing home? Are they living or are they just existing? When those things happen, then yes, maybe it's time to put another, but if they're not in misery, 
then you're good. So anyway, what kind of role does food play? Hey, I, you know, I don't think that any particular foods, certainly commercial brands, are carcinogenic, meaning cancer-inducing. Now, can they prevent cancer? Interestingly, one of the, the new areas of cancer treatment is it called immunotherapy. We can only use drugs so much to try to kill the cancer cell. But what we can do is see if we can train the body to start attacking its own cancer cell, stimulate the immune response. So the only indirect thing I can maybe say is really dogs or cats, animals, even people that maintain a very high plane of health via their food, nutrition, and hopefully also a very strong immune system. Maybe if we use those drugs on those patients that have great immune systems, maybe it might help. I know that I have a pretty good immune system. And I mean, the rabies vaccine, I think I took as an entering freshman in 1980. It's good for 10 years, roughly the same people, a rabies shot. I had a rabies titer done 28 years later, and it was still high. So does that mean I would, I would maintain a good immune response for everything? I have no idea. But at least for rabies, I'm not going to get the rabies vaccine because I'm good. Okay. Ain't a glance up, Mr. Frenchies. So here are two questions from Shanka. Number one, first of all, good morning. What's the best food for Frenchies? You know, that's a tough question because you know what? We're going to go on a break. Don't go away. We come back. We're going to talk about these two things, supplements and foods for specific problems or and more importantly, for specific read. We'll be right back after these short messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live again with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio and Instagram Lives. Ask the best. What's a simulcast? You get to see me on TV. If you join us, you get to see me on both. So on the break here at Pet Life Radio, we were talking about a question came in about cancer and food, diet, specifically Frenchies and then anal gland. So let's get back to those. And I want to answer another one just in general about why are we seeing so much more cancer? So the thing with diets, you know, I don't know if there's a best food for any breed. I think there's a best, I don't even think there's a best, a best food for any specific dog. I think there are a lot of really good foods. And what works for your dog depends on. Now, if I had to generalize for a second about Frenchies and knowing how many Frenchies seem to have chicken allergies, if I were to create a food just for Frenchies, it would not be chicken based. I would probably easy leave out beef too and go to something weird. Rabbit, venison, kangaroo salmon you know, or, or fish. You really want to try to avoid things that they've possibly seen or things that we know from historically know that seem a lot of Frenchies have, have um, food allergies. So 
That's what I would do. But as far as what else goes in there, it's individualized. You might make the perfect food for Frenchie. I mean, ingredient-wise, it is the best. And yet you put it in front of the dog and he goes, I'm not eating that. Well, how good is it then? It's a game. You got to find something they really, really like. Make it the healthiest you can based on what? When we make these decisions, what are we basing it on? We're basing it on us. We're anthropomorphizing. Well, if it's good for me, it's got to be good for my dog. That may not be the case. So, you know, my criteria is, do they like it? Do they have a nice shiny coat? Do they have normal stools? Do they have lots of energy? If that, That's a good food for your dog. Regardless of ingredients. I, I love this one about, the, you know, you have a dog who's not doing well for some reason, and we think it's food allergy. And I mentioned how chicken is one of the biggest culprits. Not even French, even a lot of other dogs. And they go, no, doc, no, I get the most, f- it's organic chicken, very expensive, free range. I said, oh, wait a second. Chicken is chicken is chicken. I don't care if it's McNuggets or it's the best chicken on the planet. If there is such a thing, if they're allergic, they're going to be allergic. And then you got to look at other features of the food. If they, are they, do they use chicken broth in a gravy? I mean, there are so many things. Chicken protein is chicken protein. You got to avoid it if they have chicken allergies. Now, as far as anal gland thumbness for Frenchies, usually, and again, Frenchies are, are, are a unique breed and they didn't always read the book. So I would say that the first thing I tell people that are coming in frequently, whether to us or to a groomer for anal gland expression, or if they're bold enough to do it themselves, which I, I got hats off to you because I hate doing it and I'm in the profession. If you want to learn how I tell people this time, I'll teach you how to do it. Oh, no problem. But are you going to want to do it? Get squirted in the face just once and let's see how eager you are to do it again. So, I mean, it's pretty gross. But usually adding fiber to the diet could help with the, the anals. It keeps them a little easier to release every time a dog defecates. At the very end of the bowel movement, you'll see their, their anal sphincter just give a tight squeeze. And if you look really close, I'm not recommending you do so, but take my word, you'll see the squirt. You'll see the anal gland secretion squirt out. Now, if that gets too thick, it doesn't work. And then it starts building up. And then you end up getting, getting anal gland infections, et cetera. So you have to get them expressed professionally. So try adding some fiber to a diet, and that might help. Then there was another one. So with splenic cancer, you know, it's tough. And I'll tell you why. Most of the time with splenic cancer, the diagnosis is made after the tumor ruptures and it starts bleeding. And if you're lucky enough to have a small bleed, so if you have an anemic dog, you see a little, you know, the belly filling up with the blood, you put the ultrasound, you stick a needle. Anytime there's fluid in the ultrasound, you try to tap it, you get pure blood coming out. Hemoabdomen, it's called. Hemoabdomen is a 100% reason to open up unless you see a huge tumor, huge, and the dog's almost on deathbed and, you, and, is, and is 14 years old, then you might say, you know, it's time to say goodbye. But if the dog is still hanging in there and the spleen, from what you can see on ultrasound, looks okay, but it's bleeding, I cut. And I've saved many. Now, most of them, majority come back as splenic hemangiosarcoma, but I've had many that came back splenic hematoma or hemangioma, which is a benign version of a tumor, it still ruptures, they still bleed, and hematoma is like a huge blood blister. So by doing the splenectomy in those dogs, it was curative. And that's why I go in. You cannot always tell what it is. So if they're strong enough and they can handle the anesthesia and you can give a transfuse them if you need to, you get them on fluids, you work fast, you remove the spleen, and you're assuming, again, you've already taken x-rays, the chest is clear, liver looks good, then I'm going in. And I've saved many, many, and even the ones that I couldn't save their life long-term, 
I got them through it and they lasted sometimes for months to sometimes a year. So when it comes to that, I'm pretty aggressive and I would do it again and again and again. Only one time was I really bummed. I, the liver looked good, but when I got in there to remove the spleen, got the spleen, did my inspection of the other organs, the intestine, the liver, and I found a number of high up um, under the diaphragm, small, which is probably why I didn't see much sound, bleeding lesions, too many to, to do, and you're not going to do. I'm not going to do a liver lobectomy on this dog. So we ended up, you know, having to call the owner and saying we really should say goodbye. Mama Sue gave the cortisone shot, and we'll see how he does in two weeks. Yes. Why increase in cancer? So great question. And the answer is nobody knows. One of the things I mentioned is we are doing a better job keeping pets living longer, understanding more about the rest of the body, and so we are keeping other organs healthy. And now we're just seeing the cancer as the culprit instead of the heart failure or instead of the kidney failure or instead of the liver disease. So it was bound to happen anyway if they lived long enough or did not pass away from some of the other organ dysfunctions. Now, as far as is it environmental, what else is going on in the environment? What are we seeing in people? So it seems like we're seeing a lot of cancers in people too. So it's a great question. I actually am doing a consult with one of my colleagues, Dr. Sue Ettinger, who's just amazing. She's an oncology specialist in New York, Dr. Sue, if you look her up. And um, I will ask her that question. I'm calling her about another case, but I'm going to ask her that question and see uh, if she can say that. Maybe, you know, again, a lot of times we hear more about these stories and more about these cancers, but it's really not statistically no different than it was 15 years ago. So we'll come back and I want to get to an answer on that. Good question. Uh, let's see. What's my secret? Well, I have no idea. You know what it is? Let's go back to what I said earlier. Genetics. I can only say that it's got to be genetics. Look, I try to eat well and I work out and I play basketball and I snowboard. I mean, I, I stay active. I don't play golf. That to me, that's a waste of time. If I'm going to spend two hours doing something, I'm running up and down that basketball court. But anyway, it is genetics, I think. You know, my grandmothers uh, and one of my grandfathers lived nice, ripe life. My dad, you know, made it over 90. Unfortunately, my mom had, had brain cancer, but it looked up until then was looked amazing. So I don't know. The things I would say is eat well and don't ever stop. If you're active, where I see my colleagues, look, I, my, my wife and I came back from our 50th high school reunion. We're classmates. And um, I looked at some of the people in that class and they, they, I, I used to joke, they looked older than my dad did. So overweight and the big bellies and you know, you got to stay active. That I think is, is one of the keys is really, really working hard to stay active. Uh, she was never sick before 10 years. And that, you know, with that... It can happen. And I, I don't know what exactly led you. Was it just not doing well? Did the tumor rupture? Did she start to bleed? You know, let me know what was it that got you to take her in and have her tested where they found the stromal tumor? And did she bleed out or was it too late to get to it? These are really important questions to know. Hello, Neil. They removed the spleen. Okay, so great. How long, how long after, or is she still with us? Because the stromal tumor, I mean, it's it's a big thing. But if they remove the spleen, how long did she last after that? Or did they already take x-rays of the chest to see if, if it already spread? Ah, came back and spread. Okay, so there you go. That happens 100%. What was the timeline between the splenic removal, the splenectomy, and it coming back? Was it a month? Was it three months, four months? What was it? Because if it was really an aggressive tumor and it went much faster than at least a month, then you know this spread, like we talked earlier, the spread had already started even before the splenic tumor, maybe the tumor started to bleed or whatever it was that made her sick. It already started. And those are tough. Absolutely tough. All right. Ah, this uh, uh, all these good questions. Love it. 
Um, when I say chicken, is it also turkey and duck, anything with feathers? No, the proteins are different. And interestingly, there are those that don't even say chicken and turkey are anagenically similar enough that if, it, if chicken is an allergen, then, duck, then turkey will be an allergen as well. Now, what I would recommend is try to stay away from it if you can and go something duck is totally different. So just because it feathers, look at the, the beef side. We could say beef is bad, but bison, right? Venison, they're good. So it's different anagenically. They're different enough that it doesn't mean if one is one allergen, the other ones will be too. The dogs all have to have their anal glands done every month. No, dogs that have anal gland problems may need to have them done every month. But it doesn't say that every dog is need to have them every month. Most dogs, they take care of themselves all the time. Some will come in every several months. Some we don't know about. Why? Because if you take your dog regularly to a groomer, the groomers often express the anal glands. So you think, oh, my dog never, oh, my dog never needed that. But they're, they're getting it done every time they get groomed. So you know, every month is not, it's not unusual for a dog that has the problem, but it's not the norm. But even still, if you have a dog that's needing it every month, I'd start adding fiber to the diet and see if that helps. All right. The spleen is useful. In dog. The spleen is an organ that once the bone marrow takes over as a producer of red blood cells, the spleen is really just a vestige. It becomes a storage facility. It's like you know getting a, a public storage locker for blood cells. Um, but the, the dog can clearly live without it. In fact, when we do splenectomies, these dogs, you know, especially if it's one of the benign tumors, they are 100% fine. It's like having that extra kidney. We have two. Do we need two? All we need is one good one. So um, same thing with spleen. So it's useful in development. It's a source of production of red blood cells early on, but that also goes to the bone marrow. Once the bone marrow takes over and is the sole source, the spleen becomes a reservoir. It's just a, it's a storage unit. Boy, great, great questions and great waves. Is there a need to give any of my new puppies Bordetella? Well, the answer is once you start taking your dogs outside, here's what I say about Bordetella and why I've never been a big fan of the word, the term kennel cough. Because people would think, oh, my dog never goes to a kennel. Oh, does it go to the groomer? Does it come to the vet? Does it go to a daycare? Does you take it for walks outside? It's live in LA cough. It's go outside cough. It's not just kennel cough. It's everywhere now. So, and the way things are going, and one of the stories I was going to read, but I'm not, I don't have time. We'll have to get to it next week is, in fact, I'm not here next week. I'm going to be going to Western Vet Conference. Oh no, I think I'll be able to do my show still. So that's good. Anyway, when we talk about things like this, that influenza, that virus now is becoming more and more prevalent. And I'm seeing more and more people and I'm reading you know, just what's going on in the veterinary world, more and more cases across the nation. So that might be this H3N2 and H3N8 might be our next, you know, what we call core vaccine, where it, for me, it wasn't core. It was only the dogs that frequented these kennels and daycare facilities. So um, I would, once they start going outside, uh, Bethany, I would 100% get them, get them Bordetella. Oh, three years. That's great if it's been three years since. So yeah, no, love it. Uh, one, in a, one in five years. Uh, it first says three years and it says one in a fifth years. Um, anyway, even still, you get over several months, you're good. All right, last questions, then we got to go. Uh, how often do you fold that on your dog? Will that show cancer cells? That's a really good question. And I'm glad you asked because a lot of people say, we took bloods, you know, three months ago, there, were, there was no cancer. No, usually the only cancer that's going to show up on a blood test is bloodborne cancer, like a leukemia. So now, if a mass, a tumor is affecting an organ, Spleens don't have any uh, evidence of bleed of enzymes that come from the spleen. So you can't 
find and say, oh, God, not ALT and AST and alkaline phosphatase and GTT like in the liver, or not BUN, creatinine and phosphorus like in the kidney. You don't get it from the spleen. What you get is if it's bleeding, you get anemia, you'll get blood loss, but you're not going to get a specific value on your blood test that's going to tell you there's a spleen cancer. And that's the problem. Now, if there is a problem with one of the, some of the organs because of a cancer, then you might see an elevated liver enzyme in pancreas as well. All right. And you'd say, oh, we have to evaluate what's going on. You do an ultrasound, you do some further testing, and you find out the reason why those enzymes are elevated and that, that organ was malfunctioning or dysfunctioning. It's because of cancer. So they're all kind of backdoor diagnoses that you have to get from seeing other signs or getting lucky, which I've done before. You're doing an ultrasound for something else. And all of a sudden, I look at the spleen and it's huge. And I see a big mass in it. Didn't bleed yet. Didn't rupture yet. I'm going to go in on that dog and remove the spleen. So there's no, except for leukemia, however, you're not going to see cancer cells on a blood test. Now, will you see cancer cells on an aspirate, on cytology? Possibly. A biopsy, of course. So that's what we recommend. So anyway, as my phone is ringing, I'm waving to my last person, Bikin Pups. And um, that's all we have time for. I've ran over Mark. I'm sorry. You'll have to edit me down maybe um, or just you know let people hear me talk. Some people like it. Didn't get to any of my stories, though, and I wanted to. So maybe next week we'll get to it. Now, of course, if you have any questions during the week, I'm not only a Sunday guy. I'm a six-day-a-week guy. So if you have to get me, you can write me here at Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, or Instagram, you're here. You already know me. Uh, just send me a, a private message, or you probably have my cell phone number also. So just call me, and we'll go from there. All right? Thanks for joining me. Have a wonderful week. I think... I have to check where my flight is. I think I can do my show next week, and then I'm going to head to the airport to go to Western Veterinary Conference, and I will report from there also. Next Monday, I'll be doing a segment on the local Fox affiliate. Usually when I get to Vegas, I know the host very well, and they love to have me come in, and we're going to talk about some stuff on Fox 5 in Las Vegas next Monday. So have a good week. I'd love to hear from you during the week if you need to. And otherwise, we'll be here hopefully same time next week. And um, I hope you like my new mic setup. Is that a thumbs up, Mark? Yeah, good. That's a thumbs up. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.